let's get ready for some serious shift. This is a podcast, Shifting Inside Out, hosted by your quantum shifter, Angie McCourt. We are diving into ways to empower and enable a quantum shift. Inspiring topics, hacks, and guest speakers take us on a journey around authenticity, challenging status quo, personal power, and living a purpose-filled life. episode, we talk about Erin Power's journey. And her journey really started about overcoming, whether it was programming or old conditioning around the diet culture, as well as from a health perspective. And so in her pursuit of not accepting health diagnosis, she ended up discovering a whole new way of being, of protecting and, and basically working with the body to be able to live in a way that gives full energy, that gives full alignment and as well listening and being in tune with her body. And now she's taken that over the past decade and transformed it into being able to help others do the same. And I actually was part of her metabolic reboot 30 day program in June of this summer. And it was just eye opening, incredible. Plus she's funny, very funny and has a great personality. So I think you will really enjoy her on this episode, but there are such great tidbits here to help you to be able to start making some of the shifts in your own life that help you align better with food, sleep, as well as just being in tune with your body. And so I really am excited to have Erin on this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts as you listen. You can find me on LinkedIn at Angie Belts McCourt and on Instagram at Angie underscore McCourt. So without further ado, let's hear from Erin. Erin, welcome to Shifting Inside Out. I'm so grateful to have you on this episode. To get started, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Oh, hey, Angie. Well, I'm Erin Power. Hi, listeners. Um, I'm a board-certified health coach. I'm also a holistic nutritionist. I have a lot of other things that I do as well. But the way that Angie and I acquainted was through my my health coaching practice. Um, I specialize in metabolism, which is just a very vague word that everybody kind of kind of knows what it means, but not really. Um, Most people know what it means from the perspective of mine has slowed down. (laughs) That's how most people like metabolism. (laughs) Um, But I like to zoom out. I I really am a big zoomer outer. Zooming out metabolism is simply the system of the body that decides how fuel is used. And yes, that can become dormant or slow down or seem to go offline, especially seems to happen as we age. But um, what I really take great pride in is, is educating people on how this system works because it, it, it works. It, your metabolism works, I promise. It still works. Um, how it's designed to work and how we can sort of alter the inputs, diet inputs, exercise inputs, obviously, but other inputs as well that, that influence how this system works. It's extremely enlightening and empowering to, you know, to recognize that you have you have agency over how your body uses fuel. And that's just one small thing that you have agency over. It's just one very tiny thing. That's the thing that I specialize in. But but accepting that you have agency over your body is actually an enormous shift that I love helping people make. Oh, I love it. Yes. And you definitely enlightened me. I will say that, which is why I want you on here. So <laughs> I think you have such an important mission 
um, especially now, um, for all of us to learn from and to be inspired by and all of that fantastic stuff. So I'm hoping this episode really gets that connection out there and um, probably brings you some future clients too, because I know there are a lot of people, especially women, but men as well, who are really, really trying to better connect with their bodies. So I'm excited about this conversation for sure. Um, I do have a few quick round questions just for the listeners to get to know you a little bit. So the first one is, what is your morning ritual? Okay, well, I, I famously don't have one. Ah, <laughs> and, I've had a couple uh, of those lately. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm pretty staunch about this. I, I get up and start my day. I don't drink 64 ounces of water. I, I don't have a coffee. I don't even like coffee, to be honest with you. I don't have any warm beverage. I, I, I get up and start my day, but I think this, this answer ends up being facetious and I don't want it to be. I do want it to be productive. What I will say is that I have, I have a strong productivity ritual that um, has weekly and daily touch points. And so every night before I go to bed, I've got my next day clearly laid out to the minute because if I don't do that, it will for sure fly away from me. So when I wake up in the morning, I know that the first thing I have to do today, it was, uh, it was a meeting at 7am and so on and so forth. Like I, I just get up and start the day. And in my day are things like, you know, relaxing rituals. I think a lot of people start their day with their morning coffee, which I love, love. I love a ritual. I don't start my day that way, but I believe me when I say I have relaxing rituals, you know, scheduled into my day. Then you have the biohackers who start their their morning ritual with like their cold plunge or their infrared sauna. Yes, I have that kind of that kind of personal health care stuff in my day too, but it, I don't start the day. I start the day with by starting by working usually, to be honest with you, as unsexy as that is. <laughs> That's great. Well, hey, you know what? It's 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 sometimes the best way, right? Just dive in, just go for it. And then the the um, part I hear from you is throughout the day, then you have, you know, kind of the rituals and the routines that carry you through. So it's probably a better way to manage your energy as well and to stay focused throughout the day. I think so. I, because yeah. the thing is, if, if somebody hears that and says, oh, this person has a productivity ritual where they, they, you know, they lay their day out from minute to minute to minute to minute, that sounds pretty grindy. Um, it's not. I refuse to grind. So I put meals in there. I put naps in there. I put stretching breaks in there because I need to take care of myself in all those ways. They're as non-negotiable as all my non-negotiable appointments are in the day. Um, maybe that's where I differ from people who really buy into the grind culture, which I don't buy into at all. Mm. So opposed to the grind culture. <laughs> it's like my day is scheduled to the minute and I start it as soon as I get out of bed. But there's a lot of luxurious time mm. in there. Mm, that is fantastic. And it is hard to get out of the grind culture. I used to be in the grind culture. And I think it's um, become this like protective thing for me of, of really holding on to making sure I don't go back into that, but that I stay very productive, very focused with, you know, I get up and actually walk away from the desk, which I never used to do. <laughs> you know, that's a simple luxury, right? <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people nowadays, that would actually be a luxury for them. So I love that. Yeah. That should go in the daily schedule. Yes. Walking away. Yes. Putting your eyes on a, a horizon. Like mm -hmm. essential. This stuff is essential. Yeah. Especially yeah. for folks like you and anybody listening who, you know, feels 
uh, overwhelmed or heavily programmed by grind culture. Mm -hmm. There's so many cultural influences yeah. that we're pro heavily programmed into that I'm sure we'll talk about today. And the grind one is one of them that we glorify so much. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> I was glad to give it up. I'm a re recovering grinder. <laughs> okay, second question. How do you renew your energy? Well, kind of piggybacking off of what we were just talking about, I, um, I very specifically and pragmatically and productively assess what is causing my energy to flag. Mm -hmm. So I go to the root cause. Mm -hmm. So renewing energy, you need to renew your energy when your energy has been taken from you. Mm -hmm. And whatever that means, it, it could feel like you're dragging, you could just feel overwhelmed, whatever that feeling of needing to renew energy feels like, I like to go to root cause, what's causing this, that I just feel like, again, I'm empowered by that information. Mm -hmm. um, so then I will intentionally step away from it. Like, we can do this, we can do this, we, we can step, we not only can we, we have to step away from the things that are draining our energy so that we can come back to them better. Mm -hmm. So I literally physically step away from overwhelming things all the time. Uh, very specifically, I live in nature. I live on a, in a forest, actually. So I have the opportunity to step away from my desk and go immediately into my own forest, mm. which is a really nice luxury. Forests are uniquely, they uniquely change your energy, not to get kind of kooky, but there's so much ecology in a forest and there's just the energy of all that ecology that, that you, you cannot be in a forest and not feel immediately, literally brought down to earth. So it, but it start. It's not just that I have a forest out my back door. It's because it's that I will remove myself from the things that are causing my energy to feel sapped, mm -hmm. and that's not an avoidance technique. It's just a grounding and recentering mm -hmm. technique. Then I come back to it fresh. Mm. Yes, beautiful. I love it. Yeah, nature is my place to go as well. But the forest, you're right. I've actually done a couple of hikes in forests in Florida, um, mostly pine trees, but some oak trees around as well. But the critters, the critters, the ecology, the flowers, the, it's this time of year too, where it's a different energy than in the spring. Um, and you're right. It's just so magnificent. It's very magical, you know, to do yeah. that if you're able to <laughs> or envision yeah. a, a forest if you can <laughs> put nature I, I sounds say, on. <laughs> it works. That, yeah. That's absolutely a viable option. I, um, I was on a vacation to Nova Scotia recently, which is east coast of Canada. I've never been there before. Um, and because it's coastal, it's so lush. Like where I am, I'm in the mountains. I'm in the, the foothills. It's, it's pretty dusty and dry. And, you know, it's got its own unique, just very different ecology. So like talking about the, the forests in Florida, the life that was teeming in this Nova Scotian forest was overwhelming. <laughs> Everywhere you looked, it was just, it was just vibrating with life. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, that that is the energy of planet Earth and we can yeah. absorb it. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Okay, what is your guilty pleasure? I feel no guilt about pleasure, which is maybe that's my guilty pleasure. <laughs> I, uh, I feel that humans are wired for pleasure. We're wired to seek out pleasure. I think that humans are hedonic animals that um, want to feel good and mm. do things that feel good. Like, I have so many examples of this from our evolutionary history that I could go into, but I'll just leave it at that. Um, so I honestly play to my hedonic whims often um, without asking permission, without seeking forgiveness. Now, I don't do it um, irresponsibly. I'm responsibly hedonistic, 
But if I have a pleasure, I don't feel guilty about indulging it. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. (laughs) That's great advice. I think as we get into our conversation today about especially connection to the body, um, you know, we talk about about sensuality and we talk about pleasure like we are so disconnected from so much of that 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 alone is such a humanistic thing to reconnect with so ooh, i can't wait for this conversation it's gonna be good <laughs> okay so aaron um you have this incredible journey that you have been on and i think it would be so fantastic to kind of lay up our conversation today just sharing as far back as you'd like to go and as long as you'd like to go on your journey um, for our listeners. Oh, as far back. Um, as far back as I'd like. It's interesting that you framed it that way because when I tell this story, I don't often go very far back. But I just want, I guess I'll set it up by saying like, as previously touched upon, I'm a health coach, nutritionist that focus on metabolism. For most people, that is weight loss. So let's just call a spade a spade. For most people who are concerned about their metabolic health, their biggest concern is weight loss. So we talk, we, we talk about weight loss, we get into my origin story from the perspective of weight. And I remember when I was six years old, I was six years old, I grew up on a farm, and I was carrying buckets of oats out to the barn to feed the horses. And my mom saw me walking down the, the path to the barn and she thought I was so cute. This little six-year-old kid loved like, the apple of her eye carrying these buckets of grain for the horses. And she opened the kitchen window and said, you're so cute. Look at your little love handles. She just was like, just ooing and eyeing, just adoring me. My little love handles. And that was <laughs> but this is the first memory that I have. If I, if I rewind the tape, this is the first time in memory that somebody commented on a part of my body. Now, she did mm-hmm. not do it to body shame me. My mom did not body shame her six-year-old daughter. That didn't happen. But it was the first time I remember somebody commenting on the size or shape of a part of my body. Mm-hmm. And it went downhill from there. <laughs> so <laughs> now my mom dieted her whole life. My whole life, my mom was dieting. My mom was on a diet for my whole life, for her whole life, to be honest with you. And my grandma was dieting, which is what trained my mom to diet, which is what trained me to diet. Like, this is generational dieting yes. at this point. So, you know, kids are innocent. We're, we're, come, we, we're born into this world with these perfectly functioning bodies, these perfect little minds that accept and, and trust and believe. And then we're kind of unfortunately programmed yeah. as we go. So I, I got programmed into... And this is not, I'm now extracting my mom out of the conversation. She did not have anything to do with this, but the culture did. I was then programmed deeply into massive body micromanagement, very disordered relationship with my body, uh, an exercise addiction, an eating disorder. Um, I have so many horror stories of my eating disorder. I can't believe I did some of the things that I did to my body. I'm deeply remorseful for how I abused and... I uh, was violent to my body through my teens, my 20s, into my 30s. But the thing is that in my 30s, it stopped working. I'm using air quotes. It stopped working. All this micromanagement that I had been doubling down on stopped working and I started suffering. I was putting weight on despite being addicted to exercise and really not eating food. Um, 
I was in my bones exhausted. That was my biggest symptom, to be honest with you. So when I framed up this whole metabolism talk and said, most people think about metabolism from the perspective of weight loss, to be really honest with you, my origin story, it was the lack of energy that, that, that sent me to the doctor. Mm -hmm. I'm 34 years old and I'm checked out of life. What is going on? So my doctor ran some blood tests. I was pre-diabetic. That doesn't make any sense because I'm not a sedentary junk food eating person. I'm not a diabetic person. So pre-diabetes is um, like on the spectrum of diabetes. Your metabolism, diabetes is a metabolism disease. So your body ha is forgetting how to use fuel, essentially. I'm really simplifying this, but diabetes is when your body has completely forgotten how to use glucose and the insulin hormone that takes glucose and fuel up into the cells doesn't work anymore and it's all broken. And I was basically on my way there. And I, I completely rejected that diagnosis because it did not make sense for me because I was not overweight and I wasn't lazy and all those things that you hear about diabetic people, you know, <laughs> just, just also terrible to, to just generalize people in that way. Mm -hmm. So I set out to learn about diabetes. Like, what is it? I didn't know what it was. Why would I know what that is? Why would anybody know what that is? If, unless you've been diagnosed as diabetic and your doctor says, okay, you're diabetic. Here's your, you know, your standard of care for diabetes. You don't have any reason to know what it is. Yeah. So I wanted to learn what it was. So I started learning about this hormone insulin. I started learning about fuel, how fuel goes into the cells. I soon started realizing that the way I'd been living my life, specifically in pursuit of micromanaging fuel, like every calorie in, every calorie out was all accounted for. Mm -hmm. um, that's not how my body uses fuel. The body doesn't use fuel that way. Your body doesn't give a hot damn about how many calories you've earned or burned. It's not how the body uses fuel. And I soon realized that I had been living my whole life in complete mismatch from what my DNA was expecting. Again, this perfect technology that I was given at birth, biological technology we get to walk around in, has an expectation for how fuel comes in, how we use fuel, when, why, where, what kinds. And diet culture tells us something completely different. And by the way, also like, now I'm in Canada, so we, we don't have the food pyramid. We had Canada's food guide. Same thing though, a government sort of government prescribed food. Like your body doesn't work that way. Your body doesn't understand food groups. Your body doesn't <laughs> understand, you know, how it's a, the way diet culture um, has programmed us to think our body engages with food is not remotely how our body engages with food. And I was really mad about that. I felt very hoodwinked. Mm -hmm. I felt very bamboozled. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, hell no, uh, I'm not going to be pre-diabetic. I'm going to return my body to its optimal experience of, of using fuel. And so I did. I made some big changes to how I ate. The first thing that happened was I got my energy back. It was palpable. I mean, I couldn't get through the day without taking multiple naps. I'm 34, 34 years old. I'm trying to make a name for myself in my professional career at the time. And like, whatever, I was, I was a writer. I was working at a company as a writer and writing requires you to focus and concentrate. And I couldn't. Yeah. I'd have to go to my car and have naps. When I was driving home from work to go to the gym and crush my two and a half hour workout, I'd have to pull over on the side of the freeway to have naps because I was falling asleep behind the wow. wheel of my car. So the first thing that happened when I changed the way I ate and, and it was really just a diet change at first 
was I got my energy back. My body remembered how to use fuel. I was now tapping into the wisdom of my body. It, know, it always knew how to use fuel. It was wondering what the hell I was doing. It's like, <laughs> what is she doing? The body trusts you though. The body trusts there's something in this animal's environment. There's some reason why they're starving us and running away from metaphorical bears for three to five hours a day. That was me at the gym. Um, as soon as I started supporting my body and giving it what I was expecting, it rewarded me with more energy than I thought I was even capable of having. Mm. But that's actually your birthright. And so for me, that was overwhelmingly exciting to get my energy back. And then, honestly, all the weight I had been gaining around my midsection, the middle of the sort of abdominal weight gain, that's not where I would normally gain weight. I'm probably more of a hips and thighs girl. Mm -hmm. um, but that weight started to just go and I wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't my singular focus, but when metabolism starts working and figuring out how to use fuel, the fuel that has become stuck on your body that you feel is sort of this insidious, where did this come from? What is going on here? It doesn't make any sense. That starts to go, but it won't go until you do the work to tell your body that you know what you're doing. Um, providing these inputs, these metabolic inputs that, that make sense to the body. Once, once everything makes sense, the body will reward you with metabolic wins, like more energy, looser pants, feeling better, which is kind of nebulous, um, and, and a million other things I could list, but I won't. So uh, my journey is really uh, uh, bringing myself back from the brink of prediabetes, but more importantly, bringing myself back from the brink of extreme feats of dieting. And I'm very proud to say I'm 46 years old now. I have not given a damn about what I eat, really. Like I don't, I don't do anything. I don't, I don't avoid anything. I, I don't deprive myself. I've told you earlier, I'm a hedonic person. I do whatever I want. <laughs> but because I'm generally behaving in a way that supports my metabolic biochemistry, it's still working. And I don't have to have this crazy tumultuous relationship with food. I waste, I spend zero mental energy. I'm going to say that again. I spend zero mental energy every day thinking about how much of what I'm going to eat. I just eat when I'm hungry. I eat to satiety. I love every bite of food I eat. It works, um, but you have to get into harmony with your body. And so that's what I've spent the last probably fifth, I guess 12 years doing is getting into harmony with my body. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And and that was one of the things when I took your um, your metabolic reboot program, um, which was a 30 day program. It was so honestly enlightening for me because I had been sucked into that diet culture for so long and disconnected from my body that you it's almost like you taught me again how to reconnect and how to listen and how to just like tune in with when are you hungry, how much are you hungry for, what doesn't work well, especially as you get older, you know, foods change inside your body. <laughs> and, and, and what could have been a, a, an okay food, maybe not a supportive food, but maybe not an unsupportive food in the past now is like totally unsupportive because you feel the effects of it. Like what are some of the things that as you went on this journey of discovering what worked for you, what didn't work for you? What were some of those key things around food and around listening to your body and tuning in? 
Well, one thing you just said that's so interesting, and I love that you're using the the vernacular, the supportive and unsupportive food, because I don't talk about foods in terms of good or bad. I don't I don't really have a list of foods that you shouldn't should or shouldn't be eating. But guess what? You do. You know darn well what foods don't support you. And that could be they don't support you in the sense that they give you brain fog or a gut ache or the obvious, you know, unwellness, indigestion, these symptoms of, of a food that doesn't support us. It also could be the food that makes you feel shame and disappointment, right? So this is where I go into, like, I always throw Oreos under the bus. I don't know why. But it's like, we keep Oreos in the pantry just in case we want a little treat. Great. I love treats. I'm super duper on team treats. When the Oreos become this binge trigger for you, and so you you eat one Oreo, then you have 15 Oreos, then you just eat the whole bag because what the hell, might as well. And then you know, you're in the shame spiral, and now you got to start again on Monday guess what? Oreos are not a supportive food for you. And I'm not, I'm not talking about bio, biologically. I'm talking mentally, mm-hmm. spiritually. That's an unsupportive food for you. And you know it. If the Oreos didn't exist in your pantry, you wouldn't have put yourself in the shame spiral. So so the supportive and unsupportive food is really, um, that was a really enlightening thing for me. Because I, I, I think because of decades and lifetimes of dieting, you start to categorize foods as good and bad. You know, my, my predominant diet was the very low fat diet because this was like the nineties and the aughts. And that's what we knew then. But today it's, you know, low carb, low carb is the diet du jour. And it's like, we're, but it's just, we're just repackaging diet programming at this point, but there's wisdom inside of you. There's wisdom inside of you. There's a, there's a list of foods inside of you. There's a list of yes foods and a list of no foods inside of you. And just knowing your lists is one of the greatest things you can do for yourself. And I try to empower rebooters to make this list. Now I give them a few ideas, like maybe try eliminating this for a while because this is generally considered inflammatory to humans, so on and so forth. But an example that I often use, and I used it in the reboot, is popcorn. <laughs> so first of all, popcorn was for always and forever a healthy snack. Because if you popped it in an air popper, it was zero fat. And I was always the expert at like eating zero fat back in my dieting days. And as it turns out, I just really love popcorn. It's delicious. Now, these days I would eat it with butter and salt. Mm-hmm. Um, but guess what? Popcorn, not good for Aaron. Not a good food for Aaron. Corn, generally, delicious corn on the cob, corn soup, corn bread, popcorn, anything in the corn family, not a supportive food for me. Your mileage may vary, but when I eat corn, I'm down for the count for three to four days and there is definitely gut rot instant bloating like instant bloating Mm -hmm. and by the way bloating is a symptom that whatever you just consumed whatever you just did your body didn't like it your gut didn't like it like i'm tired of us normalizing bloating i see that a lot on social media bloating is normal no it isn't it's not it's the body responding to something that you put into the gut that it's not it's not going well in the gut Um, but i also get brain fog I get brain fog for three days. I actually can't get my contact lenses into my eyes because my eyes dry out. It's one of the words that I get from corn. So like if I'm going to the movie theater and I, I just, I look at the popcorn, I decide into it or out of it based on this data. Mm-hmm. If I opt into popcorn, I'm looking at four days of gut rot, three days of glasses, and probably three days of like really just a not well-functioning brain. I can look at my calendar. I can figure it out. Do I have any important meetings? Can I risk it? Sometimes I'm like, yes, popcorn. Give me a large popcorn, extra butter. Let's go. With no guilt or shame, Mm -hmm. I opted into it. And then I have that 
you know, that cluster of symptoms and I knew it was going to happen. So I don't get mad at myself. I don't Mm -hmm. have to, you know, punish myself or feel bad. I, I opted in and many times I opt out. I'm not going to have the popcorn. I don't want to feel like hot garbage for four days. Like how cool is that? Is popcorn, is popcorn healthy or unhealthy? Depends on who you ask. Depends on Uh what era of time you're in. Right. But for me, it's, it's a food I have to think about because I know what it does for me. And I never, when I, when I opt out of the popcorn, I never feel deprived. Mm-hmm. Like, gee, I wish I could have that. I can have it. Mm-hmm. I chose not to because I don't want to feel like garbage for three days. And I just, mm-hmm. I love that kind of experience. Yeah, that's incredible. And um, I loved that example because it really got me to think about um, almost planning ahead when you're having to present something, when you need to be really clear. It's like your foods that you have within a couple of days before that really matter, um, as well as sleep, obviously. And one of the things that um, I had obviously heard of circadian rhythms prior to the doing the reboot, but I loved how important it was that you really taught us how to get into the right habits and set our environments to be able to activate our circadian rhythms the way they should be activated. And so as you've been, you know, obviously kind of mastering this connection to your environment, connection to your body um, over the, the past decade plus, what would you say was the kicker for you when you said sleep was important and how do I get good sleep? <laughs> I couldn't be more excited the way you framed this question because you framed it from the perspective of circadian rhythm. Okay, because everybody's sleep is very important. It's the second most important thing, in my opinion, after food. If you want to make a really massive change to the way you feel in your body, change food, start to understand food, and then for crying out loud, get some quality sleep. But the thing is, and here's where I push back a little bit on on the sort of the modern wellness world's current sleep fixation, which I'm, I'm grateful that it's, it's in the spotlight. <clears throat> But sleep, we can't look at sleep in a vacuum anymore than we can just look at diet in a vacuum or exercise in a vacuum. It's, it's part of the circadian clock. Mm-hmm. So the, one of the exercises that I, I took you through in the reboot is this eat simple clock. And where I sketch out a 24-hour clock and I say, in a perfect circadian human animal's world, here's where sleep would happen. Here's where feeding would happen. Here's maybe where, you know, exposure to sunlight would happen, you know, movement. There's sort of these these. Um, ideal scenarios. Mm-hmm. But whatever about that, it the circadian clock starts with sleep. But because it's a clock, because it's a circle, it doesn't really actually have a start. It, it all feeds into itself. So the sleep, the sleep, quality sleep is a is a, a remnant of how you live during the day. And then how you live during the day is a remnant of how you slept last night. And it mm-hmm. the cycle really goes. We can't isolate sleep. We can't just say I'm gonna get eight hours of sleep oh, I crushed an eight-hour perfect sleep, I feel great, and, and think that this is going to solve your problems. There's there's this whole 24-hour clock that we can harmonize to, and we should harmonize to. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds overwhelming. Like, wow, that's a lot. You know, geez, this lady is telling me to now change my focus from dieting to just like obsessing about where I'm at on my 24-hour clock. <laughs> Not really. But one of the changes that I, the first changes that I made in my origin story was changing when I ate. Mm. So before I even changed what I ate, before I uncovered the popcorn thing, <laughs> I just changed when I ate. I read one book. The book was called The Last 15. I have it here somewhere. I got to find it. The Last 15 by Dr. Joey Shulman. Now there's two Joey Shulmans. This is a Canadian. I think she's um, 
I think she's a physician. And um, the last 15, the title would suggest it's a weight loss book, the last 15 pounds. And, you know, so, but when I was researching diabetes, um, this book came up at the time and like, you know, 12 years ago, there wasn't that many books on insulin and hormones and blood sugar. And this one came up. So one of the things she suggested in the book was the only thing I took away from the book was this front loaded feeding methodology. When, when your body wakes up in the morning, it's, it's more, all your, your body doesn't know what you're going to do. Your body has no idea what you're going to do. All it knows is that the sun rose. Your body perceives that the sun rose, even if it's cloudy, mm-hmm. light receptors on your body and on your eyes recognize the, the changing light of day. It's morning now. And it triggers metabolic processes to fuel the day ahead of you, whatever that is, whether that's sitting on the couch, sitting at your desk, to, you know, if you've got a big workout on the schedule, it doesn't matter. The body is ready metabolically to bring up fuel in the early part of the day. But what do we do? We grab a coffee. We have a little piece of toast or like a banana. We have these lame, tiny little breakfasts because we're in a hurry. And we're Mm -hmm. too busy. We're in a hurry. I'm going to grab this banana and this yogurt and just go. So our body was waiting for us to fuel it and we dropped the ball. Mm. So right out the gate, if you change that, if you make time in the morning to provide fuel when the body's expecting it, look what you've just done. You just harmonized with your body. So first of all, that's, that's a little woo sounding. Oh, you harmonized. But secondly, metabolically, it was very important because your body is going to take that fuel now and put it to work for hours. You're good to go. You don't have to think about food for a long, long time because your body is busy because hunger, the, the sensation of hunger is your body queuing up. Uh, a request for nourishment, not energy per, per se, it's nourishment. I'm just going to use that word as a blanket because it's things like amino acids, minerals, maybe energy, although most of us have tons of energy stored on our body, we're fine for energy. So just understanding that hunger is your body's polite cue for fuel and that the body's expecting fuel in the morning. If you provide fuel in the early part of the day, you know, you did it. Great job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Check that off the box. You did, you did one very important human task. And then we think about this circadian clock from the feeding and the mealtime in perspective. Well, the biggest fuel consumption of most modern humans day is after work, big supper, mm-hmm. snacks until bedtime. <laughs> your body is not expecting that. The sun is now going down. Your body's perceiving the changing light of day. It's now nighttime. It's putting away all the metabolic machines. Metabolic machinery has been switched off for the night. The body's getting into rest mode mm-hmm. and we're pummeling it with fuel. <laughs> It's so confusing. It's very, very metabolically confusing. So one, one immediately actionable takeaway that people can take from this, from listening to this, which I teach in the reboot is start to shift your meal timing to have more food in the early part of the day that will naturally taper. You'll just find that your hunger naturally shows up quieter in the evening when you do this. So anybody who struggles with evening snacking, eat more breakfast. That's the solution. Mm. So now to go back, the original question, which is about sleep, we've set this beautiful circadian harmonious rhythm during the day. Now we go to sleep at a time that makes sense, wake up at a time that makes sense, eat at a time that makes sense, sleep, wake, eat. Like this is the cycle of which sleep is a really crucial part, but so's the waking times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and totally. And if, you know, I mean, anytime I've eaten even certain unsupportive foods that I realized after the fact were unsupportive, I couldn't sleep very well either. So it was, you know, even what you put in your body, 
on top of the time of day you're putting it in can impact your sleep significantly for yeah. sure. You know, I love that you know that. So it's so warming to my heart to hear that you've made that connection. That, that's all I ask of people, start making connections. Like when I have clients who will tell me that they've struggled with sleep and, and sometimes they'll say it, they'll say it as though it's like a foregone conclusion. I'm just not a good sleeper. I'm like, stop the bus. Why not? Yeah. Well, I wake up in the night. Okay. Uh, I need more. Like what is waking you up? Oh, I'm just a light sleeper. I'm not accepting these narratives. I need you to get productive here. So I often tell my clients the next time you, if you, it's, this takes practice by the way, but like if you find yourself waking in the night, what woke you up? What was it? Oh, my bladder. Oh, my husband mm -hmm. rolled over. The cat stepped on me. I heard a sound outside. Okay. Uh, or I was hot. That's a big one because my clients are women as well. And they're my age. So like, we're getting hot, we're getting warmer. Things <laughs> go on. But like, to me, there's a problem to solve there. Like if, if your husband or your bladder woke you up or the cat stepping on you, then you weren't in deep sleep. Something mm -hmm. you're not in deep sleep. If your husband didn't wake you up. You just never got into deep sleep. If you were in deep sleep, nothing would wake you up. Right. So why yeah. aren't you in deep sleep? We can troubleshoot that. Um, temperature wakes you up. Great. We got to cool your body down because your body's expecting to be cool at sleep. Sleep hours of the day, are, your body temperature drops significantly. Do you have a massive duvet on? Are you using a heated blanket? Can you cool off your physical space? Like there are problems to be solved there. No one is stuck being a bad sleeper. So with you, it's like certain food woke me up. I woke up because I've heard this from clients who say pain woke me up. It's like, oh, pain. Okay, what kind of pain? Like joint pain. My knee was throbbing. Okay, like throbbing inflamed joints. There might be a nutritional or lifestyle, you know, trigger to that. So now yeah. we have something that we can go seek out. And isn't that exciting? Like, hey, you might actually be a really good sleeper. These narratives, these stories we tell, like for, for the longest time, I had bad knees, right? I just had bad knees because I exercised so much. Well, no, when I changed my diet and took all these inflammatory foods out, my knees are completely fine. I've never had bad knees. There's nothing wrong with my knees, but I bought into the bad knee narrative. I just hobbled around like a person with a bad knee. You, you might not have bad knees. You might not be a bad sleeper. This isn't your destiny. Like, mm -hmm. anyway. I think um, that's beautiful. And also, um, I think it gets exciting too when there's hope, <laughs> right? When there's, there's, a, there's a way to solve this. Let's figure out how to solve it. Um, and then, then it's creating the habits that keep that consistency so you don't end up having those issues again, getting the labels out of your head so you're not calling it a certain thing, actually working with your body. It's just such an, a, a different approach than I think we've been conditioned to do or that we've allowed ourselves to do over so many, I would say, decades at this point. Um, it, is, it is really amazing I feel like um, COVID especially has almost given us permission to slow down. Even with the grind culture, like the guilt has kind of diminished a bit. Like if you're not feeling well or you're exhausted or you're tired, like to let yourself rest mm -hmm. is a different way of being and living than a couple of decades or even a decade ago, I would say for sure, versus push it through grit, grit, grit. <laughs> I'm going to blow up grit one of these days in a solo podcast, but you know, it's this sense of 
when your body says slow down, when your body says don't exercise today or walk instead of run or do something that's a little more mild on me, please. Like, I feel like we're finally starting to listen a little, but what are ways that you've learned that will help people to tune into their bodies more, whether it's nutrition, exercise, rest, um, all of those kind of components of, of the body telling us what it needs? Well, it starts with belief, believing that your body knows what it needs, mm. which which is a huge hill to climb for people who have been embroiled in this micromanagement. I have to micromanage food and movement and sleep and supplements and everything. Water. Mm-hmm. Don't get me started on water <laughs> because my body's too stupid to know what it needs. No, your body is brilliant. It knows exactly what it needs. So I'm going to go to the water thing as example. We drink, we, we carry around these giant bottles of water because and drink, you know, drink our water because someone told us to mm-hmm. some somewhere along the line. It was like, drink more water, drink more water. I get that from clients every time on the intake form. They say, well, I should drink more water. I'm like, uh, are you thirsty? <laughs> if you're not thirsty, you're good. <laughs> like, that's why the thirst mechanism exists. Like you're good. Right? Like this whole idea of by the time you feel thirsty, you're already dehydrated. Think about that. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah. That, is, that, that doesn't make sense. Somebody somebody coined that phrase and we bought into their narrative again. Mm-hmm. So like you were talking about this, you framed this question up from the perspective of habit change, which is very buzzwordy right now. But I believe habit change, you, you won't change habits unless you fully buy into what you're doing and why. And so from the perspective of like trusting the body, you have to just believe that it knows what it needs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're thirsty, drink, when you're tired, rest, when you're hungry, eat. Like if you're tired of standing up, sit down. If your back is sore, give it a stretch. Like just like listening, trusting, and responding, listen, trust, and respond is a really good sort of whistle stop on the way to, um, to respecting the body, to respecting it. Listen, trust that what you're experiencing is real and then respond in a way that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the body makes it very clear to us, right? So think about it, for example, where do you, when you feel tired, what do you feel? Well, your eyes get, your eyes get heavy. That's your body's way of saying, close your eyes. <laughs> when you feel thirsty, the thirst is in your mouth. That's your body's way of saying, make a wet thing go in the mouth. <laughs> when you feel hungry, hunger signal shows up in your stomach. Not because your stomach needs food. Your stomach doesn't need food. Your cells need nourishment, but they put mm-hmm. put the hunger signal in your stomach so that you would think, I got to go fill my stomach so my cells can eat. Like the body has made it so clear for us what it needs. And all we have to do is just listen, take it at face value, and then respond accordingly. Yeah. Um, it's so simple. Like, I think, I think that we, I don't think, I know that we, this is our programming again, that there's no way it could be that simple. I have to micromanage this thing. You go back to, to grit, grind, hustle, slay, suffer culture, which is also glorified. Um, it's like, if I'm not punishing, pushing, and really um, manipulating everything around me, then I'm sitting still. Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe if you sat still, maybe if you sat still, you'd actually have more productive relationship with your body and that, think about all the ways that would permeate your life. I go back to my origin story. I got my energy back. What can I do with energy? I got my energy back. I got my mental energy back because I got to extract myself from dieting. Now I have mental energy. I have physical energy. I can conquer the world. Mm -hmm. So for any high achieving, high performing person, 
you're spinning your wheels obsessing about micromanaging your health inputs. You, you're wasting that energy on something that the body can fully take care of for you. And all you have to do is just listen and trust and respond accordingly. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was like a billboard. <laughs> Aaron Power <laughs> billboard quote. I think we need to all hear that like every day. Maybe it's an affirmation. There you go. Yeah, exactly. No, that's perfect. And, you know, I think too, um, one of the things that I loved, one of your stories that I loved that you have, I think you actually have this out on YouTube too, is about the black dress. Mm-hmm. So about when um, one of my big goals has been detachment to outcomes, right? So detaching from the outcome, how I'm expecting it, trying to, like you said, manipulate it or trying to force it or all of those pieces. So I've really been trying to make that shift over the past couple of years because nothing works the way it used to work. So why bother? Um, I love, though, your black dress story because this is a perfect example of really just releasing the attachment to that outcome in a way that you're like totally micromanaging it, right? Do you want to share that story with us? Yeah. So I'm really excited that you talked about detaching from outcomes because there, there are in coaching, there's two, you know, categories of goals. Well, we can get into the weeds of all the different ways to categorize goals, but um, goal trajectory, there's outcome goals, which are very important. We, we need to have these outcome goals, but the process goals are the, the very granular, super non-dramatic, again, <laughs> unsellable, unsexy little steps that get you to the goal. Nobody's interested in those. Like mm-hmm. getting comfortable with process goals is the skill to master because the outcome goal will almost always overwhelm you. It just always seems far away. That's just how it is, right? Yeah. But the story of the, of the Christmas dress is that I had this black, very simple, I don't have a, I'm not a fashionable person, but I found this black dress that I really liked. It's a shirt dress, silk shirt dress. Um, great for all occasions. Great for Christmas parties, great for funerals, great for, you know, job interviews. I could wear it to a wedding, I suppose. Uh, so I called it my Christmas dress because I'd gone to this one store. It's a Canadian, I think it's a Canadian chain called Aritzia. And it's kind of all over. It was some medium to high end store. And I found this black shirt dress for a Christmas party, tried it on, it fit great. I wore it all the time. I wore it all the time. I wore it for everything. I wore it for Christmas party that year. The next year I wore it for a Christmas party again. I kept wearing it, kept wearing it, kept wearing it. Third year rolls around, I pull out my trusty black dress to try on for the Christmas party and it looks terrible. It's like, it doesn't, it's also kind of raggedy at this point, to be honest with you. So I go, I go to Aritzia and, um, they have the same dress there because it's a staple. Three years later, they haven't changed the dress. It's still there. So I grab I grab uh, my usual size. They only had it in navy. My usual size large. They only had it in navy. And I was like, darn, I, I like this black dress. It was so good for everything. But I'll grab this navy and large. And oh, they have the black one in medium. I don't know. What the hell? So I go try, I go to the change room, I try on the navy black dress in large, and it just looks like absolute crap. I'm like, did they change it? Like, did they change the cut of this dress? And I come out of the change room because there's no mirrors in the change room, so you have to come out. And I, the girl helping me said, how's it, how's it fitting? I said, I've, I've had this dress for three years, and it, it doesn't usually look like this. Like, did they change it? She's like, no, they've never changed it. She said, that, that one's just too big on you. And I said, no, I'm... I'm a size large. Like this is my size. <laughs> like I wouldn't, I didn't believe it for a second. I'm five foot 11. Like I've always been a tall, big person, size large, not a heartbreaker for me. Cause I'm, I'm a large person. Like I'm an imposing person, but I go back in the change room. I try on a medium and it fit. 
And I came out and I was like, oh, I bought it. And I, suddenly I'm a size medium. Suddenly, <laughs> three years later, I'm a size medium. So, I mean, the story goes that every few Christmases, I have to go buy a new dress, right? And I'm, I'm going down, I'm dropping a dress size at a rate of like uh, a third of a dress size a year, which is such a which is such a non-blistering pace that if somebody were setting out to drop a dress size and I said, I can, get, I can drop a dress size in three years, they would not hire me. <laughs> <laughs> no, they would run away because it's not fast enough. But, but the thing is, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't trying to drop a dress size. I was trying to feel good in my body every day. I would begin with the beginning in mind. What can I do today to feel good today? What can mm. I do to support my body today? This is process goals. What can I do today? And I wasn't doing anything big. I was really just putting one foot in front of the other. And then wouldn't you know, years later, I'm down a dress size. And and so the medium large dress size story is is sort of finite because I, I'm never going to get to a small. Maybe I will. I don't know. I shouldn't say never. Maybe <laughs> I will. But like, you know, pant size. I'm dropping a jean size every two years, right? Not fast, but unlike my peers, who are going the other way up at a much down, faster down, rate? Yeah, down. They have closets full of of, of <laughs> pants that all different sizes. I I literally ha everything in my closet fits me and has fit me for ten years. Mm. Like that kind of thing. Like I'm not yeah. spending money or mental energy or the mental anguish of having a skinny jean in my closet that I you know I want to get into someday. <laughs> and and I am losing body fat without even trying to lose body fat by just yeah. supporting other things. Um, like from a biological perspective, metabolically speaking, I think this is how it works. This is how metabolic fat loss works. You, you get the metabolic machines working. And then once it's working, it's going to start liberating your stored fat. It, it's going to do it, but it's not going to do it quickly. As soon as you start getting to fast fat loss mode, you now you're in a temporary paradigm. You're going to lose fat quickly, gain it back guaranteed. Yep. But if you get mm -hmm. this very slow, metabolic, metabolically supported sort of fat loss approach, it's going to go slow and it will be gone forever. Yeah. Ooh, that's so awesome. And I, I know that um, I think for a lot of the listeners, we, we have that closet where it's the smaller sizes and the bigger sizes. And there is so much anguish over the smaller sizes. I finally like purged all that stuff. I'm like, now <laughs> I don't need it hanging over my head anymore. Right. I mean, that was like a big, I have one of my clients who she did the same thing and she's like, nope, I'm done with it. <laughs> All okay. it was doing was torturing me. <laughs> I'm yeah. just going, I'm going to figure out the best way to be in my body and live in a way that gives me what I need to be able to, to, you know, bring work into the world, be there for my family, be there for, you know, my, my pets and have the energy to take care of our home. <laughs> Well, I'm grateful that you did that because because there's no reason why you should open your closet every day and then feel immediately badly about yourself. Right. Um, <laughs> and the thing is, too, like, you what you said is is you know I'm what can I do today? What can I do in these moments to support the life I want to live? And and if fat loss comes over time, I can go buy new clothes. Right. You know, I posted this thought experiment on Instagram out of frustration. I said, okay, here's the thought experiment. I wave a magic wand. You wake up tomorrow morning in the size of body that you've always wanted. What's the first thing you do? Or how is your life different? You wake up in the morning, you've got the body you've always wanted, the one you've been dieting for your whole life. What has changed? What's different? What do you do? And 
only answer that came up will I go to the mall and buy new clothes? And I was like, wow, is that what you're killing yourself for? Like, wow. I, I, without judgment, I'm like, tell me more about that. Well, I, I just love fashion. I, I want to look cute in my clothes. Okay, now we're talking about maybe a love of fashion or maybe we're talking about a confidence thing. Okay, now we're getting into some intrinsic goals. Mm-hmm. You love fashion. You want to feel confident. Confident to do what, by the way? Like, what is the... Well, now you're confident. Let's say you're confident. Now, what do you go do? Do you go, do you go ask for that raise? Do you leave that shitty relationship? Like, let's go deeper because waking up in the morning in your dream body and going to the mall and buying clothes is not an intrinsic goal. (laughs) There's no meat on that bone. Like, what do you really want? Yeah. It's a hard question to answer. Yeah. Oh, it's a great one for us to end this segment on though. But thank you for that because I think, um, Part of the conditioning has to do with all the external factors, not necessarily what we truly want or need. And right. then as we can unlock that in ourselves and ask that question in a deeper way to ourselves, that is how we connect into the changes and the habits and the things that, you know, really get us to um, be able to support ourselves in a way that is is consistent and healthy and that breaks all of this here's what you're supposed to do mentality and conditioning that and programming that's been going on for a very long time for many of us. <laughs> yeah. Three generations. Yeah. Yes, go. exactly. <laughs> yep. I totally agree. I, I can see that looking back over my family as well. There's a lot of generational stuff, hardworking women. There's a lot going on there that are generational things that have been going on for a long time. <laughs> okay, so do you have any call-outs that you'd like to share? Um, I will put your website in the show notes, as well as if you have any other books, or you'd called out one book in the um, the last 15, I'll put that in the show notes as well. But are there any nonprofit organizations, any um, anything else that you would like to share? Um, how often do you normally do your metabolic reboots? And then also, if there's a link I can share with folks in the show notes about how to work with you, that would be great, too. Well, I do. I run the Metabolic Reboot twice a year, uh, spring and fall. So probably by the time this is out, I'll have one underway because I've got one starting October 1st. So the next one will be in the spring. Okay. Um, in the Metabolic Reboot, you did it. It's 30 days of everything I teach everybody. Mm-hmm. It's, it's no different than what I would teach a one-on-one client. It's a really awesome... It's very short, sharp, pretty aggressive pace. Yeah. But my one-on-one clients, we, we, we co-create a metabolic strategy together. That's more slow, tons of, um, tons of mindset and habit change stuff. Like we just talked about, about like tapping the brakes, being patient with process, not being overly focused on outcome. I'm here to help deprogram people. It takes ages yeah. and ages. It's, it's really an uphill climb to deprogram. So I work very patiently with people one-on-one so they can, when they go to the website, eatsimple.ca, there's a button there that would initiate um, the consultation process for um, booking a call to get into my one-on-one client roster. Mm-hmm. But just in terms of like call outs, I think one of my favorite resources is called Mark's Daily Apple, marksdailyapple.com. Okay. Pop that one in the show notes because if anybody's looking for information, I, I understand the value of information anybody to a very informative source of just nutrition metabolic sensible sensibly metabolic sensibility we'll call it <laughs> mark mark Sisson, who's the owner of the website he's one of my all-time gurus he's one of the people that i learned from when i was trying to figure this out um his stuff just makes sense so devour content like 
I fixed my body by doing that, by, by seeking to understand my body. Mm-hmm. So you can do that. You feel empowered to understand your body. The information is out there. And if you need help with implementation, that's where a coach comes in. Happy to chat with anybody. Awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. And I will go ahead and add all of that in the show notes and give them a link to your website as well. Erin, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. I know you're extremely busy and I just love your mission out in the world. And hopefully others can connect with you to um, continue their own journey with you. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Angie. It was fun.